Welcome to Marin Costello Radio, where we have intentional conversations with impactful people. Your weekly dose of motivation, inspiration, and entrepreneurship. Join me as we explore the ins and outs of building and running a business, interview leaders across all industries, and find the common denominator beneath it all. Welcome to Marin Costello Radio. Guys, one of my favorite humans on the planet is on the show today. Emily McDonald is a passionate entrepreneur who helps female founders scale their businesses, myself included. As a founder herself, Emily has faced many unique challenges and successes throughout her journey. She grew and ran a team of over 15 employees, launched retail stores across California, brought in over seven figures in revenue, and raised over a million dollars in venture capital. Now she helps other female founders scale their businesses. She is a founder who has intimately experienced the ups and downs of running your own company and has the perfect unique experience to help other founders do the exact same. My dear friend, Emily McDonald. Oh my gosh. Thank you so much for having me. I am so happy to be here. You're literally the coolest human ever. Um, <laughs> so let's go back to the early years. You and I have had the pleasure of getting to know each other and meeting and bonding in our adult and professional lives. But I want to know about little Emily. What was little Emily like? Oh, my gosh. I love that. Um, so I was born in Oklahoma, in Tulsa, Oklahoma, and five kids in my family. So I'm the fourth of five. So I had to learn to be outgoing very quickly in order to be heard. Um, Yeah, so grew up in Oklahoma, always was into fashion and entrepreneurship. Like I was literally reading the books from Entrepreneur Magazine on like how to start a clothing store when I was like 11. So- So you knew you were gonna do this for a very long time. Yeah, yeah, it was definitely like a passion of mine. I thought I wanted to do interior design at first, but I've always had like a bit of the creative mixed with a desire to start my own business and an interest in business. Like I've always been very curious about how businesses work, how people make them work, how they scale um, and how people find success in business. I think, you know, when I was younger, I would always talk to like, you know, we lived in Tulsa. It wasn't a huge city. And if somebody had like a local store, I would always go in and like make friends with the owner and ask questions. I just, I, I love the entrepreneur story. So I have so many other questions, but this just prompted me. Another one just prompted when you're talking about being super interested in business and yes, you have the creative thread. What do you think are some things that are missing in the current dialogue about entrepreneurship and everyone can be an entrepreneur and you can do it and all the rah-rah, like what are, what are the actual nuts and bolts that people don't see to, and I'm not talking about you know, being a party of one, because that is arguably, you know, easier than scaling. Scaling truly is a beast, right? Yeah. So, and it seems like it's harder because you're doing everything yourself, but also doing all those things and then managing folks and then worrying about P&Ls and worrying about, you know, keeping the lights on and things like that. What do you think is missing from that dialogue? So I could talk about this for hours. I have like 10 different answers for you. Um, And I know that we'll get to this, but I started a fashion company in 2009 and have been running it for almost 12 years now, which is insane. I started it as the side project in my living room. So it started very small Um, and it it still exists today. It's doing really well. And we now obviously I consult female founders as well. I think there's two parts to my answer here. One is 
you kind of touched on two different things. What's missing from the dialogue, I think, is authentic conversations around the things that are the hardest for us as female founders, the things that we feel shameful about and the things that we're really scared of. So um, let me say that first, I'll come back to that in a minute. And then let me address the second part, which is I think that starting a business has its own unique challenges that are very different than scaling a business. And I actually think they're equally as hard in different ways. So when you're first starting and you are a party of one and you don't have that many customers, it's really tough. Like scaling is hard, but you already have customers who are obsessed with you. So you have validation. And I think that I don't want to take away from that beginning phase where I'm working with a few founders now who are pretty new and I forget how hard it is before you have your loyal obsessed fans. So I'll say that. But now going back to the real and honest conversations, one thing that I really struggled with as a founder and why I'm doing what I'm doing now is I felt so alone. And there was things I felt shame around that were very normal. Like when we took out debt, and I was younger, I felt shame around it. And that's very normal as a female founder, but no one's having these honest conversations about the things that are keeping you up at 3 a.m. in the middle of the night and you wake up with a pit in your stomach and you're terrified. And the things that you're terrified of aren't really that bad, but because they're only in your head and no one's talking about it, they feel really hard. So that's what I'm trying to bring to founders all over is what I want them to understand is like you need almost a business therapist who can also help you strategize. Mm -hmm. You need someone who you can say, look, these are my real numbers. Are they like, let's, let's dissect them. These are the real balance bank balance that I have. This is, you know, this is really what's happening. Like how can I have an ally who knows the ins and outs and knows the intimate parts of my business that I'm scared of telling others about. I feel like if I were to create a business card for you, it would say business strategist and business therapist, because you are totally <laughs> both of those things. Like who, what you just described is what you do for others. Um, so I'm so grateful to know you, to work with you. Um, that is just so, it's so truthful. I mean, especially when, when we were starting our companies, there wasn't a community that exists now. And even in the community now, it's very, I would argue that it's very positive and the things that are difficult aren't being spoken of. You're totally correct. And that's well, honestly even, one of the reasons why I wanted to start the show, because I told Q, our producer, I said, people aren't having these conversations. Nope. I'm, I'm looking online at the podcasts and, you know, the radio shows and it's like the top 10 ways to yada yada. And I'm like, no, I don't want a cheerleader per se. I want to know the real stuff. Well, and everyone is saying I'm killing it. Right. And everyone, everywhere you look online, like even I started to get on TikTok recently, which is a whole other story, but Welcome everyone's like, the I, dark side. I know, right. Everyone's like, I grew a six figure business overnight. And I'm like, oh no, 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 no. I grew a seven figure business. And let me tell you, there were, it took 12 years. It took serious ups and downs. There were times where we had incredible customers, times where I thought we were done and, and customers didn't want what we were providing anymore. I mean, it is not easy. And I think that's one of the hard things right now about entrepreneurship being so glorified is everyone thinks like, I'll just start something. I'll put up a Shopify store and I'm going to get six figures. And it takes day in and day out work. And I think that's why like one of my favorite things is like every overnight success is 10 years in the making. 
and it's true. And I, I will say, like, I'm happy that entrepreneurship has gained popularity because I do think it's good for the economy and it's good for, for people and for the country as a whole. But people are getting into it without knowing what it takes. And those honest conversations, like growing and scaling the Stylist LA, which is my first baby, is the hardest thing I've ever done. Um, and thank God I didn't know 12 years ago what I know now. <laughs> You know, a hundred percent. And I think when you are starting your company, I think that there is a lot of ignorance is bliss for sure. Because if you, if you knew that you were going to experience certain things, um, it's almost kind of like having a kid, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> like, you know, it conceptually, it's so amazing. And you think about the highlight reel and then you're like, Oh, this is part of the challenge. Like if I had known. Definitely. Well, and I think that naivety, naivete, however you say it is, um, a blessing because you go for things that you don't know how hard they are. And you're a little bit like starry eyed, which I think really works in your favor. And what's kind of crazy looking back on it is you only get that one, right. um, which I think is really special. I think like, that's what I feel about the stylist LA. Like how cool that I started it when I was 23 with a rolling rack in my living room and just didn't know what was ahead of me. And it's been such an incredible experience and I've learned so much, but now what I want to pay forward is giving people that space to be honest and vulnerable. And I think that there are so many like challenges I faced in my business that would have been, not only would they have been faced better, but we probably would have had better outcomes and I would have handled it better mental health wise if I'd had help. And the thing is, is like, I always say like, yes, your company needs advisors. Okay, that's great. But advisors are someone you talk to like once a month or once a quarter, you update them. Like you need someone who you're talking to weekly or every other week who you're like, no, this is really what's happening. And I also think, which people might disagree with me on this. I think you should have someone you pay because then you're not feeling guilty about it. You're like, okay, look, like this is my therapist. And they're invested and you're invested and you take things seriously. I mean, it's yep. just a different, it's a different type of commitment that, that, is honored by both ends, right. right? By both parties. Um, I want to go back to your early years. You said that you started Stylist LA as a side hustle with a rolling rack in your bedroom. Explain yourself. Okay. So the Stylist LA is a long story that I'm going to try and condense here. So we don't talk forever. Um, so we don't talk forever about that, but I came up with a concept in 2007, actually. So I was in a sorority at USC and I saw how often Southern California, and I saw how often um, girls wanted to wear new dresses for events, but didn't want to buy an expensive dress. So I came up with the concept. I went to USC partially for entrepreneurship. So I wrote a business plan on it. I didn't start it right away. I, um, ended up getting a graduate degree at FITM in product development. And then I started working in the industry afterwards. And it's so funny looking back, I was so young, but I was working for the founder of Reformation. It was her previous company. It was really cool. I thought it was my dream job. I had a clothing allowance. Um, very exciting. And this was like 2009 and the economy was not doing so great and they went out of business. And so I got laid off and I was like devastated. I thought the world was ending. They said to me, you know, we can't afford to pay you, but we need your help. We'll pay you in clothes. So they were paying me in to help them like close up shop and sell off inventory and stuff. So they're paying me in designer dresses. So I was like, wait a second, why don't I start? 
I don't, I don't think I've said what the stylist LA is yet, but we did, um, we do designer dress. Well, we started with dresses. Now we do clothing rental. We have a subscription, but we started as a designer dress rental company. So they were paying me in designer dresses. I started collecting them in my apartment, got a rolling rack off Craigslist and started renting them out to my friends. And this was before Rent the Runway. So it was testing out the concept. People were a little bit wary of it, but it was really cool seeing people convert. And over the years, I opened a showroom in LA. I opened a showroom in San Francisco and we grew a, a good sized company. And then obviously I'm going to majorly fast forward COVID hit and we ended up downsizing. We closed both of our retail locations and now we're fully focused on our more casual subscription, which is called the box by the stylist LA $79 a month. Clients get three items at a time. They can buy what they love. And it's a really great product, but it has evolved over the years. So before COVID, we had a large team. We were scaling. Um, we have a logistics partner that helps with the subscription. We'd raised over a million dollars in venture capital. And so I've been through a lot of seasons with the Stylist LA, but it really was launched out of a need that I saw in the market. Um, girls didn't want to be photographed in the same dress all the time. And I, I have this story about my friend Lindsay's pink dress. It was from BCBG at the time, which is funny. Um, everybody was in pictures in Lindsay's pink dress because everyone borrowed it. So it was like, you didn't even want to borrow your friends anymore because everyone was in the same dress on, on Facebook and Instagram. So I saw the need for it and started it. And in 2013, we moved into our LA showroom, which was like a big, big move for us. And then started scaling the team, opened San Francisco in 2016. Yeah, joined an incubator, in Silicon Valley, which was a wild experience as well, and raise raise money. That's so amazing. That is so amazing. What was your first experience with entrepreneurship like ever? How did you oh how did gosh. you know that you had that crazy bug? Because you do, I think that one thing that you and I share um, that I think is a unique trait is the true balance of right and left brain, the true balance yes. of like yeah. of you know business savviness and also creativity. Um, so when did you discover that of yourself? Honestly, like when I was a kid. So I think, I think entrepreneurs can be made, but I think that they're very often born and I was born one for sure. Like I wanted to start my own magazine when I was five. As like one I does. Thought, <laughs> and then also like, I think when I was like 12, I convinced my friends that we should really start a magazine. And I was convinced that we would be able to interview famous people, which also funny because like there wasn't Twitter or Instagram like I don't know how I thought I was reaching them I tried to sell school supplies when I was eight we made I'll never forget we literally made a nickel <laughs> selling school supplies. no one bought them amazing I set up a table in the front yard of my best friend's house and we literally sold pencils and erasers and we made a nickel like it was not successful but I just always my like my dad is very entrepreneurial um and I just always wanted to create and build. I mean, I didn't know it was called building companies at the time, but as far back as I can remember, like I always wanted to have my own company. Like I wrote in my journal that I wanted to have my own store. Um, and then you had two. I, and then I had two. Yeah. So it's definitely always been something like I had entrepreneur magazine. Um, people were always buying me like for Christmas and stuff books on like starting a company. And so it's, it's always been something that, 
has been something I wanted to do. And then, like I said, I went to USC partially for their entrepreneurship program. And I think like one of the things I want to say, as I just told you the the very condensed story about the stylist LA is like, there's so much that wasn't in what I just told you, right? Like we, we only have 55 minutes. Um, right. But entrepreneurship, I think is really cool because it's a true journey. And I also think it's a journey of self-discovery and a journey of self-growth at the same time that you're growing and starting a business. And so I think that's something that I truly love about it is that not only are you growing and building a company, but you're also, I mean, I keep saying, and I think people might be offended about this, but I'm like, start a company, compare starting a company to going to school, right? Like, obviously everyone should go to school, but I think you learn so much about yourself and about the world by building companies. hundred percent. So you said earlier about, you know, you're, you're speaking a lot about like building a company, building a company, but in order to have, be an entrepreneur and build a company, you have to have sales, right? Otherwise you have a hobby or a glorified hobby. Um, and so that's one thing that I, you know, in my dialogue with folks and also with the folks that I consult with that we focus a lot on sales. And I think that that is also something when we're talking about the topics of things that aren't discussed in the female entrepreneur space, it's not really, we're not really talking about sales. And so I would like to speak to you. I'd like for you to tell our, our listeners how you approach sales, because I find the word sales kind of to be similar to the word networking, where it seems right. a little slimy. It doesn't really seem approachable. It's not really reciprocal. It seems one-sided that someone's trying to get something out of the other person but that's not necessarily the case. So how do you approach it? Because I find you to have such um, a fluid approach to sales. Um, and I think that our listeners could learn a lot from you in that, in that respect. Thank you. That is a wonderful question because I think, as you said, people always talk about how great their sales are, but no one's telling you how to get them. Yep. And I think there's a lot of parts here. So I consider myself like a pretty natural born salesperson. And really the reason, and I think that this is the core of sales in general, is that I like connecting with people. So my biggest piece of advice, there's two parts to this. One, I think female founders have a really hard time with clear messaging. So that's the first part is that we have a really hard time talking about what we're doing or what we're building, especially service providers or someone that's doing something different. You've got to get your messaging clear so people understand what you do. So I think that's the, that's the first part of sales is making sure that, that your elevator pitch or your explanation is short, sweet, and to the point and very specifically explains the key benefit to whoever your customer is. Beyond that, that's a technical part. Beyond that, connecting with who your consumer is. First, a lot of people miss the step of figuring out exactly who their customer is. Who is your customer? Get really specific on that. And then I like to say, like, get really curious about your customer. Where are they hanging out? What are they doing? What are they reading? What do they want? And get to know them. And I think that's one of the things that really helped with the Stylist LA is I was and am obsessed with our users. I would be in both stores talking to them, like, where are you guys going? What events are you going to? Who are you going with? What are you doing? What do you want to see? Um, and I think that's one thing that's hard as a company scales is you get further removed from that as you're, as you're doing different things, but like, honestly, get curious about your customer, 
Like, are you off, like do surveys? Are you offering what they want? Do surveys, do focus groups, ask a customer to go get coffee with you, ask a potential customer to go get coffee with you. And I think like beyond that, as a female founder, we're really nervous about putting ourselves out there. So that's the, that's the other technical part is that I tell my clients, if you think you're being annoying with how much you're talking about your business, you're still probably not talking about it enough. Let's say it one more time for the people in the back. (laughs) (laughs) If you think you are being annoying when you're talking about your company, product or service, you're still probably not talking about it enough. So I had a, I had a client of mine yesterday say, okay, here's my question. When am I annoying in posting about what I'm doing on Instagram? Like you're not, you're really not because people aren't seeing every single thing you're posting or every single thing you're saying. And if they're annoyed, forget them. Are they building something? Like I also keep saying like the haters that aren't building anything, right? Like let's forget them. Like they're sitting at home on the couch watching Bravo, not building a business or selling a product or service. Like get out of here. Well, what is that quote? Don't take advice from people with whom you wouldn't trade places. Yeah. You know, like just be mindful with what information you're taking in. Um, And I just also want people to know that I still get people, I still get pushback. I'm sure you still get pushback of people like, oh, why are you working at night? Or why are you working on the weekends? Or how come you're doing this like this? Or, you know, people giving unsolicited advice people doing this much, like a little, little tiny piece of the pie of what's happening with myself or my company and then giving their unsolicited advice, yep. which like, you know, I just don't absorb it. It's fine. Um, but you are going to have that in every stage of business. So I think it's really, really good actually to get practice when you're building in the early years and kind of build up that, that resilience and that confidence to just say, okay, thank you. And then, you know, yeah, and, move on. and I think just to recap the sales thing, because I think it's so important, like technical, get clear messaging, make sure you're putting it out there all the time and just do it. Just do it. Like you get better by getting feedback and getting it out there. So I know people are scared. They're like, I'm not ready. My product isn't good enough. My service isn't good enough. Start getting it in front of potential customers. And then obviously the third part that I said is getting curious about your users and really immersing yourself. Like whatever you're selling, like figure out what they love about it, what they don't like about it, what you could do better and become obsessive about that. And you're well on your way to, to having better sales. I think if you can do those three things. And I think also be malleable, like allow yep. your company and yourself to grow and change and shift with time. Like, yes, I'm still doing jewelry, but we just changed everything about how we run internally, everything about the product, what it's made of, all of those systems changed from front to back, start to finish, A to Z in February, like beyond. It's essentially a whole new company. So the style of LA is the same. The yep. style of LA is exactly the same. We had retail stores, we were doing designer dress, fancy rentals. And now we do less expensive everyday casual subscription with no brick and mortar. But you have to be able to do that. And I think that the sorry to jump in there, but I think that's a really key point because the founder that will be successful is listening to their customer, listening to the market and seeing what you want. And one of the shifts we saw with the stylist LA that caused us to change that I think is important to call out is like when I started, everyone was on shop buying $500 dresses, like, or not buying, but wanting to wear $500 dresses. Or buying and returning. Or buying and returning. And in Mm -hmm. 2019, all these new websites, 
Lulu, VG, VG Dolls, uh, Princess Polly, all these sites were out there where it was less expensive stuff and the market was shifting. Mm -hmm. So it just, you, you have to be aware of that and not be afraid to change and to be malleable and, and shift along with the market and the consumer. I want to shout out one of my retailers from the very, very early years who would sell my stuff on consignment when I was in high school, um, Lilac Boutique in Alameda, California. I saw, I saw this, this, this pivoting that we're talking about. I saw this happen in real time in front of my eyes. And if I didn't see it for myself, I wouldn't know that that was how to maintain a healthy business, to listen to your customer, to continue to change over time. She started the owner, Pilar, who's wonderful. Pilar, if you're listening, I love you so much. Um, she started in bridal. Her business was fully bridal and she had, I mean, Alameda, still is, but was a simple town, you know, when I was growing up and she came to town with beautiful bridal gowns and, you know, a higher price point store. And because of her service and what she offered and her experience and how she listened and trusted and loved her customers, she has still maintained, you know, a hugely successful business, but I don't even think they do bridal anymore. I think that their store is quasi semi-formal dresses, maybe, Maybe, you know, maybe during the holidays, but she crushes with men's clothing now, the dabbled in kids' clothing. She crushes with denim, a ton of casual clothes. She's, you know, yeah. now has uh, gifted products, candles, things like that. And they also do like Alameda specific clothing. So oh, one, cool. one who has her training in formal informal attire and started her, her physical brick and mortar with formal attire also did a similar thing to stylist LA and completely shifted because of how she listened to her customers. Right. Well, and I think like that is just a, such an important part because that is also a benefit you have to be a smaller company. You can shift and pivot and change course quicker than the big companies can. And if you have your ear to the ground, listening to your customer and listening to what they want, you'll see that faster, but you have to, you, you can't be scared of shifting. Amen. Actually, Amen. let me, let me rephrase that. You can be scared of it. You can't be resistant to it. It's okay to feel fear about it. And to be honest that it's scary, but you have to be able to do it anyways. Whatever the challenges or the fears are, if you lean into those, that's where the magic happens. Agreed. Completely agree with that. It's also where you grow. Totally. When you were speaking earlier about if you're not speaking about your brand, if you don't feel like you're annoying your people with your brand, you're probably not speaking about it enough. I want to talk about correspondence um, okay. because follow up is yep. following up in business is not like following up in dating. It is totally nope. okay to DM, email, call someone two, three, four, five, 20 times before you get a yes. And a no is just a not right now. I want yep. everyone to know. Um, so the art of follow-up is so important in sales, in maintaining a business. I mean, people nowadays are just busy, right? So busy. very, very seldom is it like someone actually intentionally not responding to you. Very, Correct. very seldom. I think also it's, things are very noisy right now, mm -hmm. right? Like you get tons of emails, a lot of DMs, you get inundated with messaging on every platform. As, and I think that you have to make sure your message gets through. So I tell everyone I work with to follow up. Have I ever talked to you about my 20 no's process? Have we discussed no. this? Okay, Tell okay. Everything. So 
so this is a, a tiny bit of a tangent, but it relates to this um, because I think this is very important. It's something that I started doing in 2015, actually. And I say this because in 2016, the stylist LA saw huge growth and it was because of this. I started a practice of asking for no's. So I tried, I literally tried to get 20 people a month to say no to me. Fascinating. And in doing so, it was so interesting. I don't know exactly what sparked it, but I remember literally making a list of the people that would say no to me each month. And the cool thing about that is you gamify rejection, right? So like, you're like, oh yes, I got a no. I get to put it on my list instead of being like, oh shoot, someone said no to me. And then you also start reaching for things that might feel out of your reach because you're just asking for things. And so the cool thing is in 2016, as I was getting the ball rolling with this, I started asking for bigger and bigger things. And that led me to a partnership with a bunch of the women on the show, The Bachelor, which catapulted the stylist LA to a new level of success and a new level of notoriety. So I think like you want to get people to say no to you. It is great feedback when they tell you why, that's great feedback. Um, people are going to say no, it's a numbers game. If you ask 100 people for something, you might get 10 yeses and 90 no's. Or 10 yeses, 30 no responses, you know, that kind of thing. But I, it's important. And then when you get more comfortable with asking for these things, you'll ask for bigger and bigger things. And when I was raising VC Capital, I pitched over 100 investors. I think how, many, the actual how many yeses number. did you get? I think we pitched 130 and there's 15 on my cap table. So 115 no's. Amazing. And that was brutal. I mean, that was brutal. I will, I will not sugarcoat that. It was, it was the raising money is a, is a crazy difficult thing, but through it, I learned so much. Um, but you have to get comfortable with that as a business owner with people saying no to you. It's okay for people to say no. They might also not be the right fit for you in the capacity, whether they're a customer or a potential investor. And that's okay. But people saying no means that you're asking for things. And you're getting creative in asking for things. So I always tell people, try and get people to say no to you. A word that you said that I use oftentimes is gamify. I love the concept of gamifying anything. You can make literally the worst thing fun if you gamify it, right? And we're, we speak a lot on the show about really getting granular with helping people. And so I just want to talk about my personal process of reaching out to folks, specifically yeah. retailers and wholesalers. And then maybe you can kind of add on to that and say what you do or Definitely. what you would do also. So we usually start with a phone call. We'll um, ask for, you know, whoever we want to talk to at the store, leave, always leave our name, get the person's name that we're speaking to, get some context about, you know, ask them questions, um, get context about what type of products they have in the store, what kind of jewelry they want, et cetera. Then we always send an email follow-up. We send a DM. We make sure to follow them, like, and comment on five to 10 of our posts mm -hmm. and any other social media platform that we have, we have, or that they have, we will write them and make sure to engage. And that is every single day until we get a response. But that's, do so all of let those me, things. let me say really fast, that's amazing because that's a holistic view of sales, right? Like what you're really trying to do in sales is build a relationship. So you're coming in and, and you're also making this retailer, whoever you're selling to, but yours is a retailer in this instance, you're making them feel seen. You're contacting them on all these different 
different platforms and you're engaging with them and you're showing them who you are rather than just sending a blanket copy and paste DM. And that's, that's finessing sales, right? Like you're looking at it from a big picture, holistic view. And I know you well, you want to really create these wonderful relationships with your retailers. That's your goal. You're not just trying to get money in the door. And I think that that sets you apart in this process. You also, which is hard when you're just starting out, but you know how great your product is and you know how well it will do in these retailers. But it wasn't always like that. And yeah. the reason yeah. why, the reason, why, I mean, I would argue that the design was always, you know, great for when I was 10, right? It was probably the best it could have been at that point in time. Right. But, um, but the reason why we switched everything or improved everything in February is because of that feedback and because, you know, the no like and trust factor, right? Like my buyers know me, they clearly like me, they're buying my stuff, but they also trust me. And if, if I say, Hey, we're going to take a beat for half of a year and redo production fully. And I might lose out on sales for those six months, but then we're going to come out with this like kick-ass product and it's going to knock your socks off and it's going to sell itself. That is where the trust factor comes in. And also as you learn your, your clients, as you learn your, your customer base, they'll oftentimes come to you and say, I don't know, what do you think? What should I get? And also that mm -hmm. honesty of like, mm, I don't know if you should buy that piece, or I don't know if that's the right fit for you or your store. This piece would do really well. Even if you like, I think leading with honesty and transparency is always the best way to go about it. Because if you're just trying to make a short-term sale, it's going to hurt you in the long run. 100%. And we did that a lot at the Stylist LA and that's how we had such loyal, trusting customers. And we wouldn't just tell them to wear anything. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's important, but that's because you're focusing, when you're doing that, you're focusing on the long-term relationship and you're focusing on building relationships rather than just getting the sale. Totally. You are a genius at clienteling, both getting new business, but also massaging the relationships of the people that you already Thank have you. in your network. Can you speak to that process and how you would recommend both myself and our listeners to kind of go about clienteling? Definitely. So a bit of this is going to be repeating what I just said, because I think it's so important is it's truly focusing on the long-term relationship. Like even I know networking is a bit of a dirty word, but like, I love people. I love connecting with people. I love helping people. I love getting to know them, referring business to them. Like I just genuinely love connection. And so that's what I focus on. Right. So like when I reach out to you on a Monday and I'm like, Hey, how are you doing over there? Even though we don't have a call till Thursday, it's because I genuinely want to know how you're doing. And I want to support. So I think it's really figuring out your why and what you are offering to your customer and making sure that you follow through with that. So what are you offering them and making sure you focus on the long-term relationship rather than the short-term sale. And if you're a numbers person and you're not as focused on connection, just realize that a long-term relationship is a lot more valuable than a short-term sale. And so it's a long game. And that's, I mean, that's kind of what I said earlier about entrepreneurship. It's a long game. You can't make a six-figure business overnight. And so building these relationships and focusing on like how you can be there for the people that you're serving and how you can continually help them is, is what makes it worth it. And, you know, I think also like really focusing on what you can, how you can support your customers or whoever it is, your, you know, these relationships you're trying to build without looking for anything in return because it's going to come back to you, right? So like, I think, you know, you think about it a lot, like what can you do for your retailers? And 
I think also like staying top of mind is mind is important in finessing relationships. And so like, how can you reach out and check in on your customers or the whoever it is that you're trying to build these relationships with and make sure that you're providing value. But again, I would say it's focusing on the long game and really focusing on connecting with whoever that retailer, person, customer, whoever that, that may be. There's a lot of conversation around finding your why and finding your purpose. And I find that there might be a lot of pressure and stress around that. So how do you, how do you go about advising folks to find that without, without the stress and the anxiety and the pressure behind it? Definitely. So I actually have an interesting journey with that. Um, I think for starters, it's important to realize that your why can change. And it does change over time and it evolves. And what was hard for me is everyone wanted to put me in a fashion box because I started the Stylist LA and everyone was like, your why is, is making women feel good in dresses. And your why is like having someone show up to an event feeling great in a perfect dress. And it was very clothes related. And I love fashion, but at this stage of my life, I'm phasing out of being as obsessed with it as I was before, right? And I realized like, I felt stuck there. I was like, well, does, does what I'm doing make sense if I'm not as obsessed with fashion as I once was? Of course it does, because for me, it's about connection, right? Like getting someone in the perfect dress was me connecting with that person. Sending them to an event where they felt amazing, it was about how they felt. And so I think your why can be really broad. And it doesn't have to be, like yours doesn't have to be about jewelry. It's and not. It maybe it is. For the record, it isn't. I mean, right. the, the jewelry point, is, the jewelry part is for me because it was my hobby. Like that, the jewelry part is like, that is my joy. But right. it is the vessel for the actual why. Right. It's the vessel and, for the actual purpose. And I think if you don't know your why yet, that's totally fine. Like, I think curiosity is a great tool in general. Like my coach who I work with says when I'm scared of something, she, she, when I feel fear towards something, she says to look at it with a curiosity lens. Um, and especially when I'm learning something new or doing something I've never done before, she's like, be curious about it. So I think being curious about what you think your purpose is and what your why is, try different things, see what you like and see what you don't like. And that's all beneficial on the process of finding in the process of finding your purpose, but don't, get stuck and feel like you have to be stuck in what your why is one day. Um, you know, I think it will be consistent for a period of time, but it changes over time. You know, I think like, for example, even what I love to do in business has changed. COVID was obviously COVID caused a lot of changes, but I had a baby and I used to go to LA pre COVID. I used to go travel from LA to SF every other week. And I was in the stores all the time and granted COVID changed that for me, but like, had it not happened, that might have changed when I had a baby. Right. I don't want to be in the stores till 8 p.m. every night. You know, and I think letting yourself have the freedom for your purpose and your the things that you're interested in and the things that you enjoy in your business to change, I think giving yourself that freedom is extremely important. Speaking of babies, you are the woman who, in my mind, does it all. And I think that all women always do it all, but there are certain women where I'm like, wow, you are the highest quality of human and you like show up and are excellent all of the time. Even on your worst day, I would, I would argue that you are excellent and spectacular, even on your worst day. 
And we have so many mutual friends that I would group into that category. Um, A lot of folks that have been on this podcast. Mm -hmm. So um, kudos to you, you know who you are. Um, But I want (laughs) to talk about how you structure your day because, and how you structure your week, your month, all of those things, because I imagine that your, that your world, well, this, there's three phases of this question, right? It's your world that once was only stylist LA and that not to say that you aren't multifaceted, but as work-wise, but right. just, you know, stylist LA cut to, you know, you having a baby and growing your family and then cut to now also adding the consulting uh, component onto your onto your personal brand as well. And it's not like anything with Stylist LA has let up any, you know, yeah. like that is still running at full speed ahead. Right. Um, and you're like, yeah, let's develop another company. So I want to talk about those phases of life and how you structured your day-to-day life during those different phases to kind of give people an idea of what that looks like and maybe some permission of how they can, you know, definitely like move well, their I schedule think- around. I think the first thing to say is like, it's never perfect, right? Um, somebody said once, I actually think the founder of Stella and Dot said this in her book that I read, where like, you're always going to be juggling, just make sure that the glass balls aren't the ones that are falling. Ooh, I love that. I love that. Yeah. I love that. So I always think about that because I think my family's a glass ball. And so I'm like, okay, like, you know, don't, don't fully drop the family and like friends and that kind of thing. But um, it's definitely changed over the years. I think with the stylist LA, it was very different than it is now. It, was, it felt very hectic just because we had so much going on. Um, now I try really hard to face my days with a sense of calm because I realize I get a lot more done. I want to talk more about how my days are structured now because I think it's, it's I feel like I found a better system. Um, the stylist LA, I mean, I got so much done, but I was working all the time and now I can't do that. And I also am anti-hustle culture now because I lived in what was hustle culture when the stylist LA was at its, you know, at its busiest pre-pandemic. And I don't think I was doing my best work all the time because I was always working. And so now I actually have my son home with me two days a week. So he's home Wednesday, Friday. That probably will change in the new year. We'll probably put him in daycare a fourth day because the other thing is you have to be flexible what's working and what's not and be willing to change it but what I do is so Monday Tuesday Thursday are my like deep work days I have calls I get tons of work done I don't procrastinate I don't check social media unless it's work related um I really get stuff done and I usually block out in my calendar what I'm working on so I time block it and then there are days like last night I work so he went to bed at seven and then I work from seven to nine Um, which is totally fine. I needed to catch up and get stuff done. I work a lot on the weekends, just trying to get catch up. But when I'm working, I'm working, right? Like I think before I had a baby, when I was working, I was working, but then I also would like check email a lot and do that. And now it's very intentional. What I'm doing is very intentional, but also knowing that like, I don't feel like I'm doing it all right. Like this week, I'm like, I have so much. And first of all, my mother-in-law's in in town, which is a blessing. Like she has my son on a walk right now. Um, So accepting help, but also like knowing that like this week, for example, last night I was like, I have so much work to do and I haven't been doing it. And I said to my husband and my mother-in-law, I said, I need to sit down and work for two hours. Like no one speak to me. And then I, I got stuff off my plate. So this morning I woke up feeling a lot better, but I think I think as far as structuring it, in my opinion, time blocking is 
wonderful. Like I will put my computer and phone on do not disturb for an hour or two and go deep in work because I know how much better it's going to make me feel. And I think that's a big thing too, right? Like I, I think we spend so much time thinking we need to be working, but like how much work do we actually need to get done and how quickly can we do it if we're focused? And so, that. so that's how I structure it now. But I mean, Wednesdays are tough because I still try and get work done. But Fridays when I have Stevie home, I work during his nap. Um, but, but I also give myself permission to just hang out with him. Like we go to the grocery store, we go run errands. Like he loves the grocery store, which is funny. But I give myself that permission so I don't feel the guilt. And I will say though, that has, that's a journey. That is the journey. I used to feel, and I've worked with my coach on this. I used to feel anxiety every time I got an email, every time I got a Slack message that I needed to respond immediately. And you don't like, I keep saying this, we're not heart surgeons, right? Like yep. some things are urgent. Yes, of course. But to do your best work, you have to be able to decipher what's urgent and what's not. Um, so that's a lot of information there, but that's how I do it now with the stylist LA. Like I was super productive, but it was just such a different. And I say with the stylist, like I mean, when, we, when I was only doing the stylist like pre baby, pre pandemic, um, it just was a different beast. Like I was constantly on our stores were open. So like I was checking my phone all weekend long because our stores were open. Like, did anyone need help? What were our sales? Um, I also was a lot more caught up in the numbers of things. So like I checked my sales, like, every hour, which is not healthy. Shouldn't do that. Now I get a daily report. Um, but also it wasn't productive, right? Like you don't need to know your sales every hour. That's not a good, good use of time. So I think time blocking and being intentional and really like asking for help, knowing when you need to change something and it's okay to say no to something or, or, you know, give realistic expectations. That's one thing I'm, and I like, tell people I can get things done by end of day. And I'm trying really hard to stop doing that and to buffer in more time. Like I, I want to give everyone everything they want. So I'm like, Oh, I'll get this to you in the next hour. And then I'm like, why they don't need it in the next hour. Like give it to them by the end of the week. Like that's fine. And then buy yourself more time. That is one thing that I learned recently too, where it's just like, you know, pulling in a million directions during the day, also time blocking, of course, but stuff comes up when you're running a company that you have to tend to. And that's just the way of the the way it, it works and um, buffering time to give people what they need when you're able to give them your best work is so helpful. Yeah. And then two things I will say that are really important, which I can't believe I'm saying with a 14 month old are sleep and exercise. Um, <laughs> sleep for me, I'm a great sleeper though. Like I've always been a great sleeper. So I sleep well and I sleep deeply and like I read before bed. I try not to scroll social media. I get in bed early. Um, and exercise and movement is extremely important. So those two things like help keep me more grounded because what I've noticed is the more frantic or stressed or like when my energy gets up like this, I'm not getting good work done. Right. When I'm calmer and take deep breaths and I'm like, okay, now I'm ready to attack my to-do list. I am so much more efficient. Amen. Yeah. Same. And those oftentimes are the things that used to go by the wayside. Right. Yeah. And they still do. And they still do. So like, let's be honest here. Like I've been great at working out the last few weeks. My mother-in-law has been in town. I've had, I've, I've been better at it. And there are some weeks where it's not so great, but you can still go on a walk. Sure. You know, you can still take a 20 minute, take a call instead of a zoom and go on a walk and get outside. 
Um, so nothing's perfect, right? Like my schedule is not perfect. My, I say this about sleep and working out and some weeks it's not great, but it's realizing like, okay, like this is important to me. So I'm going to try and get back to a good place with it. I love that. At what point did you realize that your consulting services were needed? Was it like, a, oh. was it, were, were people coming to you? Was it like the market told you or was it, you were like, I think I can help folks. Like what angle? So- it's funny because she was a guest on your podcast, but Jen from Life in General and I are like best friends. She is so impressive and such a wonderful beyond, human. Beyond, yeah. in every in every aspect of the word. I love that woman so, so much. She is one of my best friends. So we talk all the time. And in the fall or no, what, what when was it? I think I had just had Stevie. So it was like the, the end of year 2020 we were just talking and she was always pushing me to start doing consulting because I've always talked about wanting to do it. Um, and she was like, why don't you start like helping me out on the side? And so I started helping her. And then another friend asked for it, who was also on your podcast, Susie um, from Flybrow. So she was like, Oh, you're doing this for Jen. Will you help me? And then an- I, I ended up telling another founder friend I was doing it. And she's like, Oh, will you help me? And then it evolved from there. So the market came to me, which was great. Um, and then since then, I've obviously started like not marketing heavily, but telling people that's what I'm doing. And then I get more, more customers for that. And I actually just decided yesterday I'm launching in January, a paid community for female founders. So it'll be like a small monthly fee and it'll be like all kinds of support, um, support for them. So just, it's, it's evolved. Like the market came to me, but then it's also evolved over time. That's amazing. So how do you, for your schedule that was once all stylist LA, how do you then carve out time to give your one-on-one time with all of these clients and kind of build this next chapter of your brand? Well, I have to be honest and say that the stylist LA changed, right? So like I used to go in the stores and then the stores closed. Right. And so I'm not going in the stores. I'm working from home and a time blocking again. And since the stylist LA is one product, now the subscription, instead of the two stores shipping nationwide and then the subscription, which the subscription is run through a logistics partner. So it's just a different, different type of setup. Um, I have more time, I would say, and I just block it out. So like, I actually have to do a ton of style work in the next week because we're shipping inventory. And so I know that. So what I've done again, I'm blessed. My mother-in-law's in town. So like Friday is my stylist LA day for the whole day. Um, unless we're going to have a call. But but usually I I block it off. So it's like the inventory will arrive on Thursday. So I blocked off Friday and then I know this weekend I'll do some work. And then Monday, the second half of the day will be stylist LA. So I just block it that way. Um, But fitting people in, I mean, I think it's making space, right? So like, again, now, okay, here's an hour for the stylist LA, then here's an hour for a client. And that hour with the stylist LA, I'm getting an amount of work done that used to take me like four hours because I was, I was switching tabs on my computer, but I literally go on, do not disturb head down, get work done for an hour and just like hammer it out. And that's been really helpful. So that's, that's how I fit people in, but also like keep in mind that my clientele has grown over time. So it started with just Jen. So it was easy. I was like, okay, I can fit Jen in. Then I realized that like I could be more efficient in different ways. So then I could fit another client in. And now I actually feel like, I'm pretty efficient. So now I feel like I have more bandwidth. Um, 
more bandwidth to, to add in more people. I love that. Do you believe in to-do lists or do you, are you the type of gal who just gets stuff done? Like the second that you think of it, you just do it. No. So I'm to-do list. I, it's changed the way I've done it over time. I used to do it in a notebook. Now I have a note on my computer, um, mainly because I have so many different projects, right? So I write in the note and, and I go through each night before the next day to do like my most pressing at top and kind of in the order that I need to do them. But I have to put it all in there or with so many projects going on, things fall through the cracks if I don't. But yeah, in a note in my computer, I used to, yeah, I used to do a full notebook. Um, but now note in my computer and I go through it and I look at it like a hundred times during the day. So I'm like, wait, what was I supposed to do next? And then I think that also saves me time. I'm not like thinking about it. I go to it. I'm like, okay, that's next. And usually I break it out by company. And then I time block the time I spend on those companies. So like the stylist LA, I actually did most of my stylist LA work last night. Cause I knew today I have a pretty booked day. So last night I did two hours of stylist LA work. And then like this morning I film this with you. Then I go and do some of my mastermind clients for the next hour. And so that's how I, and then the, the to-do list is um, broken down by that as well. That's so amazing. What does self-care mean to you? How do you, I know we've talked about restructuring your schedule. I'm sure spending time with your little one is just yeah. the best self-care ever. But how do you also love on yourself while doing all the things? Um, exercise is huge. So like soul cycle for me is like my church. Um, exercise is big. Cooking. I love, love, love to cook. So I cook almost every night. Um, it's, it's funny because when I get stressed, my husband's like, well, we could just start ordering in all the time. And I'm like, no, don't take that from me. I pour a glass of wine and from like, cause we have a baby, we eat so early. So from like 5.30 to 6.15, I cook. And usually it's like also playing with my baby, having a glass of wine. And I tell all my clients, like usually from like five to eight or so. Now it's a little earlier. He's going to bed earlier. I'm like not on any device. Um, so I have that time away with my family, which is really wonderful. So I think like really for me, exercise is huge. Family time, making sure the biggest thing lately is making sure I'm not constantly on my phone and just like reading a book or like, you know, at night, at night, not during the day, obviously I have plenty to get done, but um, just making sure that like what I'm doing is helping to put me in a better mental state because that also in turn helps my work so much. I love that. It's so good. But exercise, exercise for me has always been huge. Like I was an athlete growing up um, and I need like hard workouts, like walks are great, but like I need like full cycle or, or something like that. So I make sure I do that and I schedule it into my calendar. Um, so I do like this week will be, I'll do three soul cycle classes, but usually it's like two or three classes a week mixed with walks. Um, I have a few other studios I go to as well, but that's, that's really important for me. Amen, sister. So what is next for you, for Stylist LA, for the consulting? What do you think the next chapter is going to look like? Well, I'm really excited. I think, um, you know, the Stylist LA is in a great place now. The subscription's growing um, we have great inventory coming out for holiday. And so that's been great. And it's, it's working well, like it, it's in a good rhythm. So I have a bit more bandwidth, which is great. So obviously I launched or not obviously, but you know, I launched my first mastermind in October and we're going to launch a new one in February. And we might do two different tracks. So we might do a mastermind for those who are further along in business and those who are just starting out. 
And the mastermind is a three month program with me, a three month intensive, which is, it's been so wonderful. That's the first one we're doing. And then I just decided we're launching a paid um, female founder community in January. So I'm excited to build that out, but just continuing to help female founders and continuing to have those authentic conversations and figure out how we can really help more female entrepreneurs make their mark on this world. The world needs more female founders. And how can we support them? And how can we make sure that founder mental health is supported? Um, I think that's extremely important. So I'm really excited about 2022. I love it. Where can we find you and how can we support you? Amazing. Thank you. So the Stylist LA is our website. Instagram is the Stylist LA. Um, That's actually probably the best way. Then you can click through to the box. And um, my Instagram is Emily underscore K underscore McDonald. And my website is ekmcdonald.com. You're the best. I could listen to you speak literally all day long. You are filled with so much knowledge and buzzword, but authenticity and just realness. And I just appreciate your groundedness and your, your willingness to share the hard stuff you know, the truthful stuff, the things that people aren't talking about. And, and I'm very grateful to know you as, you know, my friend, my partner in business, and just a fellow female entrepreneur. I really appreciate your time and coming on the show. Thank you so much. It was so great to be here. And I just, I could talk to you for hours too. And I'm so excited about what we're doing for your company. And I just appreciate you having me. You got it, girl. Well, thank you so much for being here. Love you. Love you. Thank you. Bye. You guys, I hope you brought your notebooks because that interview was filled with so much good info. A special thank you to Emily McDonald for coming on the show. Another thank you to our hosts at Dash Radio and our producers at Island City Media. If you liked this episode, you can listen to it again on Spotify and Apple Podcasts forevermore. Please leave a review so we can continue bringing you the people and conversations that you guys love. Lastly, if you want to connect with me offline, you can find me at Marin Costello and Marin Costello Radio on Instagram. Have a beautiful day, everyone. Thank you so much for joining in and we will see you next week.